right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We uh, have an episode, two two players on, not together, had an opportunity to uh, catch up with Hudson Swafford fresh off his win down in the Dominican Republic. We caught up with him pretty quickly. He was commuting, and uh, it's been a, obviously a crazy couple of days right after you win a golf tournament, so didn't want to take up too much of his time, as well as an interview we had planned uh, for a little longer with Mackenzie Hughes. Um, it was kind of a little bonus on top that he competed down there in Dominican Republic because Want to chat with him about his season, um, obviously the, the the ups and downs coming down the stretch of the BMW, all that. I'll, I'll talk a little more about that as we transition into that interview. Um, up first is Hudson Swafford, but up even before him, our friends at Odyssey Golf. Now, we updated you guys uh, about, of course, Odyssey winning the putter count at the PGA Championship back in August. An update for that. Uh, they also won the putter count at the U.S. Open. They won at the A on the LPGA Tour. They have not lost a major count in over two years. Um, something like, I didn't realize this, uh, something like 60% of tour players use mallets, and Odyssey has more mallet offerings than, than anyone else. Um, they have a putter for just about everyone. They have the Stroke Lab Black. They have the Toulon Milled Putters, Triple Track, Stroke Lab Women's Putters, and even Arm Lock Styles. Uh, you could get lost in this, so be careful if you do do this, but please go to odysseygolf.com, check out all their offerings there. It's really hard to get fixated on on one thing that you love. Even though I love my Stroke Lab 7, I am constantly always looking at all the new potential options, um, and, and who knows? I might be making a change at some point in the future. So odysseygolf.com, Odyssey, the number one putter on tour. Up first, Hudson Swafford, then Mackenzie Hughes. All right, you didn't make it uh, very easy on the people that uh, were rooting for you to close it out yesterday in, uh, in the Dominican. Uh, no, uh, probably. I guess I didn't. But no, I had it really honestly and truly, I had it on cruise control. I felt like I really felt like I was just controlling all parts of my game and hit in a bad spot on 12. But, you know, first chip came back to my feet. And TV probably doesn't do it justice, but I was probably 30 feet below the pin in the green surface. So I tried one shot and that didn't work. And I tried another and that one worked out great. It was probably the best shot of the tournament for me getting up and down there and uh, really unfortunate break on 13 with the ball, just trickling over the back part of the green where I hit it. The wind never even touched it, hit a great shot. And uh, I, I personally, I only hit one bad shot yesterday and that was the quitty nine iron on 15 and left it in kind of a bad spot. And, Honestly, hit it actually a really good chip. Just hit right into the grain. Just popped up and stopped, and barely missed the putt. But other than that, I really felt I wasn't very nervous. Felt in control of my game. Yeah, I gave some shots back on the back nine, but um, I still never was overly worried about the situation. I knew some pins were on the front on sixteen, seventeen, uh, so I had chances. Well, all right, so Corrales is an interesting course to watch, and we, we touched on this on our recap pod, but because of the short grass around the greens, it causes some really uncomfortable shots. So take us through kind of some of those uncomfortable shots down the stretch, right? Because, like, I I, I want to unpack, you kind of ruined, like, eight questions I had there about being nervous there on, on saying that you're not nervous, but, like, what it's like to try to hit shots off tight turf where the margin for error is so – like, it reminded me, honestly – 
We talk a lot about Sweetens Cove in Tennessee and some of these pitch shots that are off tight turf right into a mound. And if you miss it, like the ball's coming back to your feet, dealing with that while in contention on the PGA Tour has got to be kind of crazy. It is, yeah. No, it, especially this week. So I've, I've played here one other time, and it was in March. So that time of year, the grass is very lush. It's uh, gotten a lot more rain, and it's actually – pretty easy pitching and chipping around there you can get under it and this time of year they hadn't had much rain so everything was burnt out brown fast uh very thin like when if you saw guys chipping around the grange you'd see a lot of sand but it was really just crushed up rocks but it's it's way it's way different it's very soft and grainy around the greens this week and that's not what you want when you're trying to get the ball up in the air and uh so you feel like you have to smash it into these hills. And TV just, I know it can't do it justice on the slopes because I had a couple of people say, you know, do you, I mean, is it that hard to get it up these five-foot slopes or whatnot? I was like, five-foot? I mean, the one on 12 is probably, I'm literally 30 feet below the green. The one that I was chipping behind 13, I'm probably – a good 10 to 12 foot below the green surface. So you're coming off a tight lie and you've got to get some air on it, but you have to have some speed. So you're trying to hit a hook shot with, in a, with a small little area and trying to get some air under it. It's not, it's really not that easy because if you hit it a little low into the green, it just pops up into the pass down. That's just the type of grass that, it's uh it's gonna do that so it's not gonna take a big bounce and and uh, maybe check like on Bermuda or some bent so there's a there's a lot of elements that go into it for sure well and it's it's the margin for error is small right because it like you can hit one a little too firm and it, it it's tough to stop it once it's going past the hole it's not like you have a bailout safe shot in a lot of those situations so oh absolutely not yeah. I mean especially on 13 if you if you hit that shot with any speed, and it goes just trickling over your next shots from 50 yards below it, at well, least 50 yards. You go out in 31, couldn't have made it look much easier than you did, honestly. Is is it is it weird? Is it change? Does anything change when you look up and see yourself three clear, four clear versus one clear? Is it hard to kind of put your foot, keep your foot on the gas pedal in that regard and not, you know, think about like, oh crap, I'm giving away shots here. I'm giving up a big lead. Any of that does, cause that's what's going through as, as a viewer watching it. That's like what you are imagining somebody's thinking, but get look, watching your press conference and stuff afterward. I did not get that sense. I really didn't have that sense to be honest with you. I, I mean, like you said, on the front nine, it was, I, I felt like it was pretty easy. It was pretty cruise control. And I continue with that. I had, Hit it in the rough on on ten, but hit a great nine iron to the correct spot of the green. Absolutely hit one of the best six irons I've hit in a long time to about eight feet from two thirty seven on uh, number eleven and hit a good putt. Just lift out. Obviously put myself in a bad spot on twelve, but an incredible up and down for par. I really wasn't too nervous, and I wasn't really, I wasn't thinking about winning at that point i was just thinking about executing shots and that's what my main focus was that day so i didn't really i saw i had a three-shot lead at the turn but i didn't really know like after 10 there's no there's no leaderboard still probably about 14 green 
So I didn't really know if anybody was making birdies or anybody was making bogeys. And I wasn't really too concerned about it. I just was concerned what I was doing. And after the double, I, I still I had a great look on um, on 14 and just kind of ran over the right lip. And really, the only shot that I just didn't commit to the whole day was the nine iron on 15. It was just kind of a bad number, maybe a bad, bad choice of shots that I was trying to hit up in the wind. I was trying to hit a little high nine iron so it wouldn't had no chance of going through the wind and going long and just kind of quit on it. It, it, it was very poor execution. All right. So were you, are you somewhat more freed up maybe going into 17 and for anyone that didn't watch, you know, the wind is whipping into your face and several groups before that, nobody was getting it on that green. It just was a, it was a tantalizing shot as far as, and they did a good job of kind of setting that up and you step up and hit what they're calling the shot of the day and just drain a putt on, right on top of it. Like, were you, I guess now that the lead had gone, did anything change? Any mindset? It doesn't sound like it, but I'm wondering if, uh, if internally anything did. I tell you what, and everybody, when I won for the first time out in the desert, everybody's like, "Wow, man, how nervous were you? You had to be so nervous." And I, I explained to him, I was like, "Honestly, I was less nervous because I knew I had control of my game. I'm more nervous trying to make a cut with my C game than I was in these positions." If that makes sense, I know that's hard for people to relate, especially for a guy that doesn't win as many times as Tiger Woods per se, but when you're in control of your game, you're hitting the ball solid. And honestly, all day I've mishit one golf shot. It's, I know that I'm still going to have chances, you know? Um, and I, I just, I felt confident what I was doing. Yeah. I was a little uneasy, maybe on 15, just after I hit a bad golf shot, but I mean, that's just with anything. And, uh, I, you know, regrouped and had a really good pot for par after a mediocre chip, but actually the chip was a lot better than I couldn't get under it. I was in a burnout area, so I couldn't get any height over it to fly it over the uh, ridge. So I was trying to bump it into it and it just hit and popped up straight up in the air and didn't go anywhere. So I really didn't even hit that bad of a chip. I had a great pot, ran over the front lip. So I, I had nothing to be mad about other than, the non-committed nine iron from the fairway. When, when you're out there, though, do you at, are you at all thinking about all the things that come with a win? Are you thinking about Augusta? Are you thinking about the majors? Are you thinking about two years of exemption? Does that do those thoughts enter your mind at all? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'd be okay, lying good. if I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought. You know, when I was on eleven and I was kind of having a cruise, I was just man. I I definitely thought about Augusta and winning and like how cool it'd be to get back in the winter circle. But I, at the same time, I was like, man, you got to focus on one shot at a time. I kind of just was focusing on my rhythm all week. So I kind of snapped out of that pretty quickly and then, you know, made a great up and down. And I was just like, man, this is just, this is just kind of my time to, you know, step up and, and do some good stuff, hit a great drive on 13, hit a great pitch wedge, and then watch it trickle over the green. I just knew that it was going to be a very difficult up and down, and I kind of compounded mistakes with the ball coming back to my feet. But honestly, I never got ahead of myself. Probably the biggest shot on the back nine for me 
other than 17 was the nine iron on 14, getting it past the pin and not coming up short again. Probably really hard to tell, but anything short of that pin, you're going to be 50 yards off the green and having a possible up and down. So I hit a really good nine iron from about 142 yards to about 10 foot just behind it, 10, 12 feet. So that shot kind of got me dialed back in, honestly, other than having a very similar shot on the next hole and just not committing to it. And, uh, but it, it really kind of zeroed my focus back in. And I, and even with the bogey on 15, I knew, I knew with the wind, I could still be aggressive uh, on my shots coming in. And I had, you know, two really good looks on 16 and 17, obviously, you know, hitting a great six iron on 17 that, you know, drew it up just how I envisioned and kind of pulled from memories of uh, my shot on 17 at uh, PJ West when I won, you know, hitting an eight iron to three or four inches on an island green. That's all I could play in the back of my mind and just to step up there and, you know, commit to the golf shot and uh, just hit it as solid as possible in that win. Well, that okay. That that kind of helps answer something I wanted to ask, which is: is it easier? The, the this is not the second time you've been in contention, but it's your second PGA Tour win. Is it easier in that regard to kind of pull off, pull on some memories and and having? I, I just envision like, all right, if you've done this before, there can't be, you know, the self doubt shouldn't be there at any point to say like, no, I've literally done this before. Is it easier the second time around? Did you did you have any kind of perspective on what it was like this time around? Uh I had some I had some good pictures from winning, obviously, and you can draw on that, but no, winning's not easy. It never I don't think it gets any easier. I've won many tour events. I've won on the when I was on the web doc, when it was a web.com now the corn ferry, I won there. It still wasn't easy. My first PGA tour when wasn't easy. It took me four years and, uh, you know, being hurt and where I've been the last few years, it's, it's been tough. And it, this wasn't easy. It was presented different challenges, but I was comfortable in the situation. Um, but I've also failed a lot. I've been in the final gross and final group at waste management, a couple back going to the last day, birdie the first hole. And, you know, I end up ninth, but I felt like, I never got ahead of myself that day and I really did a good job of that yesterday, never getting ahead of myself. Even when I made double, I didn't press the panic button. I just kind of stuck to my routine and, and I knew how good I was playing that if I didn't get ahead of myself, I was still going to make some birdies coming in and I was going to be fine. Hmm. Can you, I've always wondered this, you, you have an eight foot putt to win. You know exactly what the putt is for. You know, didn't look like there was a lot in that putt, but it sounded like there was some back and forth with you and your caddy on what it was going to do, et cetera. But how do you, you can't practice being nervous, right? You can't, I don't know what you can do to prepare yourself to stand over a putt like that, which is like, in my mind, the perfect length pressure putt of, you know, this could go either way. Uh, how do I hit a normal putt? What do you do in that situation? How do you handle the nerves of, you know, a, a putt that you 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 want to treat it as as normal as possible, but you absolutely know exactly what it's for. Oh yeah, it, it's tough. It's really hard to practice that. I mean, there's drills that you kind of get down to last putt to move on type deal, or you're playing your buddies for an uncomfortable amount of money, whether it's twenty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. You know, I mean, 
everything's going to make you just kind of, you know, just tense up a little bit. And, and I did know what the putt was. I actually hit a really good first putt, but I think it spent more time in the air going up the hill than it on the ground. It started bouncing pretty quickly. And, um, so in the back and forth between my caddy and I, we couldn't, I thought it might go a little bit towards kind of the cove where we were looking. I thought it might go a little right. He was thinking it was going to go a little left. Obviously around that hole, there had been a lot of traffic. It was the greens were getting really burned out and fast. So it was pretty wavy. He He's like, man, I think you just play it pretty straight and, and just think about hitting a solid putt. And that's, I've been putting great all week and just hitting really quality putts. I, I can, I think I can count on one hand how many bad putts I hit for the week, which is usually a pretty good thing. It was really just focusing on hitting a solid putt and I can't control anything else after that. Well, you didn't, yeah, you didn't sauce it very well because it went in the dead center of the hole and it took you a second to react almost. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't really want to look up. I wanted to keep my head down. I just wanted to make sure that I hit the most solid putt that I that I could. I didn't even see really where it went in. And I looked up. When I looked up, I kind of looked at my caddy, looked at the hall, and the ball disappeared. And I just it, it was kind of a blackout moment. But I guess I was just so kind of entrenched and just trying to hit the most solid putt that I possibly could because I knew if I did that that it's going to roll on a good line and it's going to have a really good chance going in. Well, you touched on it there, just kind of some of the, uh, some of the things you've kind of gone through over the last a couple of years, you know, you had a rib injury, you broke a bone in your foot. It's been a, a tough road back and kind of take us through what, what your status, your fight for status has been like, how COVID has affected you. And cause I remember that was a storyline uh, this spring, as far as, you know, waste management, you were kind of playing for your status on, on a major medical and all that. And I know there's some confusion amongst a lot of people out there on, on how all that works. So kind of, Take us to what you were, what was pending for you, what and what this uh, what this means for you going forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I was on a major medical. I had foot surgery a year ago this past July. And my first event back was in October, and then first event back on PJ Tour was November. So I was out for four months, and uh, or a little over four months, and being hurt in this sport it's it's not fun you uh you get put behind the eight ball you kind of get shuffled back um it's not like other sports where you know you're you get hurt and they you kind of either slowly get back into the groove or you know you're maybe pampered a little bit more this is all on you i mean you go and and there's no one else out there really to help you it's just you and your caddy so uh I had seven starts on my medical, which is plenty of starts to, you know, get stuff done. And, and I, I was playing fine. And like you said, I was playing, playing for my car to waste management, ended up ninth. I had a, so, a really solid week that week. Um, had a couple random breaks, but a couple divot balls the last, uh, last day that maybe led to, I think, two bogeys. But, um, you know, played, played solid at waste management, then turned around and, played a really solid tournament minus nine holes at Honda and finished 20th. So the game was trending in the right direction. Everything was going well. And I had one more tournament to go and uh, fulfill. And I had to make 19 points to fulfill my medical. 
And uh, then COVID came and everybody knows that everything's, it's kind of been weird and it shut down everything. So, you know, the unknowns didn't know when we're going to play, didn't know when we're going to come back. So it took time off obviously. And then uh, heard that, you know, speculation that we're going to start, you know, early May, then it got moved back to later May. And uh, so I, I got my game back in shape and, I think every aspect of my game got better during the break. And when I came back, I didn't see any results, didn't see good results. And it was, it was tough. It was frustrating. And I started thinking about my medical more and more and which is no way to play golf. I mean, if you're playing handcuffed before you tee off, you have no chance. And I know that, but it's way easier said than done. Right. And, um, so I also had the option of restarting my medical. A lot of people probably aren't clear about that because they, the board came up, you know, so all the web guys got to, they were going to keep their status. They couldn't go backward. So the only people that were losing something were people in medical. So they gave us the option of restarting. And I thought seven starts to win, you know, one event versus one event to try to win that's a lot better uh, sample size because you're not going to win, you know, most of the time in one start. So, you know, a little bit, a little bit more chance of, you know, to win. That's what my team and I came up with. And yeah, it was a struggle mentally, but I did some great work with Dr. Brett McCabe. who kind of just get me playing kind of like a kid again, um, enjoying the game, you know, just, you know, accepting, my shots and results as a, you know, before I was probably getting ahead of myself, getting, I'd, I'd think a couple holes before think of outcomes before they would happen, which getting ahead of yourself in golf is just, it, it makes for a long, miserable day on the golf course. That's the reason why I, I, it's, it's so, so, so cliche, but the, the one shot at a time thing has so much credence, right? I mean, it, it, it is the way you have to play. It uh, 100% is, and it is it is very cliche, like you said, but it is so hard to do. But I got in a great mindset this week and really focused on that, and nothing really bothered me. I, I felt like I played pretty free golf and saw a lot of good stuff. I mean, yeah, people can say I made it very dramatic coming down the back nine, I, I, and I did. Um, you know, I missed it in a spot that I – that you can't miss it, but I literally that I missed that shot by four feet. If, if it stops just a little quicker or the wind hits it just a touch, I've got eight feet for birdie. Um, so I really only hit one bad golf shot yesterday. And you looked confident too, is the thing. And they, they alluded to it too. Like you stepped back up with driver pretty much every situation. And as you were standing over, like I was, I was, I was, it was hard. I was, I got, there were several friendlies up at the top of the leaderboard. I'm kind of like, man, I, of all these guys, like I'm, I, I know McKenzie had just, you know, gotten, he had, you know, advanced to the tour championship. So he had gotten in all the majors. So I was kind of like, I think I'm pulling for Hudson here because He's got the most riding on this for the most part, but uh, so I, I was in. Oh, I just mean I was invested in it. Yet at the same time, I was like, every time you stood over a shot, I'm like, his swing is is absolutely on point right now, and I was confident you were going to hit a good one. So you talked some in your press conference about uh, you alluded to uh, getting in your own way, and I, I'm wondering what that means at your level and for you specifically. 
Uh, for me, it's jumping around and trying to predict outcomes before they're happening, wanting things to happen as opposed to making things happen, hoping that I play this whole well, or I just need to get to, you know, 14 and par five and I'll have a good birdie chance as opposed to focusing on one shot at a time, the cliche, you know, saying it's just, that's, you can't, you can't get ahead of yourself in golf. And i I know my that's a weakness of mine, and I really focused on that this week, and really enjoyed all aspects, even even my bad shots. At least I could kind of laugh about it, and they didn't really rattle me this week at all. So it's it was something I, I learned a lot uh, this week, and kind of you know a little self talk, a little self belief, and uh, a little bit more how I need to think going around the golf course. Well, you you shared a lot of those thoughts with us. I think it, uh, it and people can can take that to their game as well, and in, in whatever, whatever, uh, whatever way that means. But I'm always, I, I I'm impressed, I guess, with the uh, the lack of nerves as well, just with everything you had riding on it, and knowing that you, you, you know, especially with the medical and the things you were kind of alluding to, the things that you've had to block out over the as as to the to the best of your ability that you're able to pull through. So congratulations, man! Thanks for coming on and. Telling us the story, and uh, we'll be glad we're going to be seeing you out there for, for several more years. Absolutely. Appreciate having me, my friend. All right. Take care. We'll see you soon. Sounds good. All right. The second half of this episode is going to feature Mackenzie Hughes. I thought we maybe could only grab him for about 30 minutes or so. Ended up spending almost 50, something like that. A lot to catch up on for him. as a big year for him. Obviously, uh, we detail some of, the, some of the great play he had coming down the stretch, some uh, excitement at the BMW. Before we get to him real quick, I uh, want to point you guys in the direction of a news story that came out this past week from our friends at Whoop. About a month ago, maybe, a, a, a loyal follower of ours named Pascal reached out to us and said, hey, can you help me get in touch with somebody at Whoop? Uh, I just had a crazy life occurrence and that uh, I had some some spikes in some of my data and some really concerning things on the on my wristband. And if you don't know what Whoop is, it is a, a fitness wearable, provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered you are, how much stress you're putting on your body throughout the day, etc. You know, he had a stressful day uh, of golf, but the numbers just weren't adding up for him. And he went to go get checked out to figure out why. And it turns out he was having a heart attack at the age of 33. And uh, he wanted to get in touch with somebody at Whoop to tell them the story to say, hey, I don't think I would have survived if I didn't see this spike in my data. And uh, he wrote an incredible story about it. It's on Whoop.com. You can find it in their newsletter. We shared it on our Twitter as well. It's on Whoop's Twitter. Uh, and we want to, again, remind you guys that you can get 15% off your own Whoop band if you use code NOLANGUP at Whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter code NOLANGUP to save 15%. You'll sleep better, you recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop. Uh, and again, it, save it, you save hundreds of dollars if you use this promo code as well. So I know you guys have been have been crushing it with the promo code and using it, but uh, I want to give a special shout out to Whoop and, and that story. Make sure you go find that as well. Without any further delay, here is Mackenzie Hughes. So is anyone out there on tour calling you Mr. 6666 yet? You know, that, that hasn't quite caught on yet, but I definitely, I, I'm on Twitter a little bit, and I see uh, I see all the the mentions and talk, people talking about it, and it's definitely it's it's just gaining traction. I, I know that <laughs> I don't even know how it started because at the Honda, obviously they kept they kept talking about it, but 
And then Tron, Tron, Tron was beating it to death, and then people were just all over it. And then it was like, whenever I shoot 66, it was like, okay, you know, he shot 66, 66 one time, and then it was just, yeah. It, so. It's how the dumbest jokes start. It was, we were doing the Honda recap pod, and we talked about you in the first, like, 10 minutes of the show about how you shot 66, 66 on the weekend. Yeah. And then Tron brings it up, like, 30 minutes later, he's like, wait, we got to talk about Mackenzie Hughes. He shots, and we're like, dude, yeah, we talked about it, man. And then he did it again. And so we just like kept hammering him for it. And then now it is, it's, so anyone that missed the Honda Classic Recap Pod has probably been extremely confused every time we've referred to that. But uh, I'm having a lot of fun. We're both having a lot of fun keeping it going. Hey, so. it's, uh, it's all good with me. I don't mind, uh, I don't mind having that nickname. So Honda, if I'm right, if I remember this right, Honda's the week that you were, you know, intentionally banging balls off the grandstands left of the green coming down the stretch there on 18 do i have that right that was it yeah i thought <laughs> i thought wow look at that backboard over there i'm just gonna fire it over there and then hopefully get a good ricochet and i thought i thought if i hit one of the railings it might get on the green <laughs> uh but i shot a little too high it was a bit too much of a, a home run so unfortunately missed all the hard objects and uh must have hit some of the, some of the uh, soft siding but um Next time, I'll, uh, I'll try and fire in there a little harder and uh, hope we get that right bounce. <laughs> oh, God. That was, you know, before COVID and everything hit, Twitter was all up in arms about, you know, like the grandstanding and that whole conversation was happening. I guess I, to people that don't maybe understand what I'm referring to, is you had a shot there on the 72nd hole that you hooked way left into the, into the bleachers. And my point was like, the, the tour needs to potentially look into some safety issues that come with this because. While of course you were not aiming for the bleachers, you know that you have a bumper there of some kind to the point where it becomes okay for everyone in the field to blow one left if they need to. Um, is that at least along the lines of what guys are thinking of sometimes out there when you're out of, either when you're out of position and you have a especially difficult shot and you know you have an opportunity to bang one off something, you at least know that that can help you. Am I right in saying that? Um, in particular. Uh, situations yes now I wouldn't say in that scenario like that grandstand was was left I mean it was left of left and there was not any part of me that thought you know I'm gonna I have that backboard over there like it was never crossing my mind I'm aiming at the left side of the green trying to hit a little cut and last second smother it left and I mean instantly know off the face that it's going way left and but there are certain certain events where, you know, whether they're just landlocked or whatever, but they're just the grandstands are way too close, and you know in your head that like there are certain misses that are pretty good up against a grandstand, like Sony Open. Years past, they put the pin right in the back of the green, and the grandstand is like a yard and a half over the back. But like missing short of that flag is no good. So if you're in between clubs, you're like, well. If I do hit it back there, worst case scenarios, if it, it if it was long, it would be a yard and a half long. And there are just little things throughout the year that you know that that comes in play. Um, it's very rare, um, but like you know, we saw it at the Anna, uh, which I didn't even see the finish there, but I heard that was pretty controversial with that wall there. And I mean, did the wall have to be right behind the 18th green? Probably not, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of it's part of professional golf at this point, but they definitely can maybe try and find ways around 
you know, some of those aspects. I mean, I know during COVID we've had a lot less structures. So I even noticed the first week back at Colonial, we had a lot more action behind the ninth green. You know, the ninth green there, I'd seen balls in the past, you know, flyers out of the rough and all that, you know, bouncing off the grandstand back on the green. Now you've got guys that are hitting flyers 30 yards over the green, and that's no fun back there. Uh, so it's definitely a, a little bit of a different element, and it comes in play here and there. But for the most part, it's not really a thought. But occasionally, occasionally it can, it can be a factor. Yeah, and I think that you know every time that anybody talks about backstopping, grandstopping, any of these things, the, the common, easy, low-hanging fruit reply is, "Well, if they're that good, they should just aim it at the pin." And it's like, well, that's not—that's exactly the point. Is like sometimes you just need like these buffers and and whatnot, and it's not drastic effect. I, I think going back to that conversation, I got no problem with like you know if you bang one off the lower part of it and everything. Like clearly that is going to happen no matter where you put stands. But if you are exiting the stadium, if you are outside of, you know, the bleachers uh, that that could, if the potential of that being like either out of bounds or like a shot penalty is going to change the way guys play some of those shots. Well, I've got a great one. So can you picture the 18th hole at uh, Valero, the par five? Yes. So I won't mention any names, but I was playing with a player who, was going for the green and missed the structure altogether left. I mean, hit it 70 yards left of the green over the grandstand. And the people in the grandstand were like, well, we heard it back there, but whenever we saw it, ball was never found. And it was like, we treated it like a hazard. So he got a drop like just beside the, like beside the grandstand, took his like two club lengths or whatever. And, and just proceeded to play from there and then got up and down for birdie. And I'm like, that ball is a hundred yards left of the green. Like we never, we don't even know where it is. Like it could be in a tree. It could be in the clubhouse right now. I have no idea, but like the ball was so far left. And I mean, that just, that's just, I guess the way we're playing it. I don't know. I guess that's the rule, but I was like, wow. I mean, that ball is so far left and without a grandstand there, like we're probably talking about going back and replaying the shot because it's like, we never found the ball. So, mm. But, you know, we just – we play the arena that we have. I mean, this is what it is, and the rules are the rules. I mean, if, if there was um, – you know, like you, you've mentioned before, the long rough around the greens. Like, you know, you could run a ball through the green, and you know it's only going to go a certain distance because of the rough. Well, that's just what we play. So if you see a ball running through the green really fast, that guy's probably thought that through that long's okay because it's only going to go three, four yards over the green. You know, and so – and, and if that became a, you know, an area where it was, you know, shaved down and would run 30 yards below level of the green, well, then guys would play a different shot. Sure. But everyone's taking all that stuff into account and just playing the venue that we have. You know, if it's thick rough, if it's runoffs, whatever it is, you know, guys are thinking about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it, I'm never like blaming the players in any of this. It's like, yeah, you guys are exactly to your point. You're playing in the arena that you're playing in that you should be. Players are, are, are I think your guys like intuition and uh, just general course management slash intelligence is very underrated. And the, like all the things you guys have done to figure out how to get the ball in the hole effectively and all the calculations you're making. I mean, if, if you got to play that ricochet off the shitter, I mean, you got to play the ricochet. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it, uh, it's you, part of the game. It's part of the game. You know, play the ball as it lies. 
Well, now I'm going back into the shot tracker to try to find who the, who uh, who made this drop back in. <laughs> got, you might you probably figure it out, but I could probably figure it out. But um, let's go to the Corrales then. You uh, you know, I wanted to have you on. You know, post BMW to talk about you know the little heart attack you gave everyone coming down the stretch there, and then after U.S. Open, and then just the cherry on top. You almost go down there and win at the Dominican Republic. Take us there. You know, I've got a good history at Corrales. Uh, last year, uh, missing the. Well, missing uh, winning by one, bogeying last hole there. Um, and then just, you know, yeah, I was feeling good about things. And I thought, you know, I kind of wanted to play uh, something after the U.S. Open to kind of remind myself that I could still play half decent. Wingfoot, you know, bashed me in pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was a fun week. I, I'm i not really accustomed to being uh, one of the betting favorites. And I got a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, play on social media and, you know, Twitter and all that stuff about people saying, oh, I've, I've picked you, yada, yada, I put this money on you. And, you know, I see all that stuff and it's, it's, it's nice to see that because I mean, it means you're playing well and you're doing the right things. Um, but it was a, a new, a new position for me. Um, now, obviously it was, um, you know, not a, one of our top, top fields, but nonetheless, it was, uh, you know, kind of cool to be one of the, odds on guys and tried to treat it that way tried to you know go in there with the intent to to win the tournament and unfortunately just didn't quite do it the last few holes didn't hit the shots they needed to hit but yeah it was fun to be in the mix and you know just got to keep knocking on the door and hopefully uh you know get it done next time well to that point it's it's interesting how the fall series works and that it is it's a little less money than the deep for this event in particular but all of the benefits that come with a golf tournament win are dangling right there in front of you without all the top players there. So for a, a lot of guys, and I wouldn't even, you know, put you in this group because you're, you know, you're ranking the top 50 in the world. But for like a lot of guys, this, these events are like the Super Bowl. Like this is a, as great of opportunities you're going to get to rack up a ton of points and, and all these things that. Well, and, and to think about the guys that play on sponsor exemptions. I mean, I know for like that, uh, Justin, uh, uh, yeah. or suit. he you know he had a top 15 so those are big points for him as far as you know making it into the finals next year um and, and things like that and, you know will zalatoris had a, had a good week and you know for even past champion guys like guys that you know are trying to work their way into a higher position uh in the reshuffle i mean it's just big for everybody that's down there everyone everyone that's down there is down there for that that reason is that uh they they want to get off to a good start and they realized that there's a good opportunity there in Dominican. So, you know, yeah, it wasn't about going there to, to make a bunch of money. It was that, that the points were, you know, the points were what they were. They're full points, you know, the guy that wins going to the Masters, Maui, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, all those rewards are there. And, yeah, not not quite your, um, you know, top top tier field. You're singing. You are just singing the PGA Tour music there. It's not about the money. It's about the points. So that was, uh, that you know, was I, I beautiful. Didn't, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I get paid for that, but uh. <laughs> no. But it, it, to that point, though, it is interesting that it is full points yet not full money. Like it was, it, I was just surprised to see all the points uh, in the standings and stuff. Knowing that I, I, I like the fall series. I think it's I always say it's optional viewing for a lot of fans, and that you don't. It's not must see TV every week, but you can watch a lot of people's lives change in it. And I got to say, like your what happened at BMW. It in some way made me not root for you as hard. I am friends with both you and Hudson, and I was like, God, this would be huge for Hudson. And you know what? McKenzie's already in all the majors next year. Like he's already locked up all those. The the honestly, the only thing that 
well, there's two things, you know, you don't win a lot in golf. So like for me, it, it's always big when you go to a tournament and you feel like, well, you know that you beat everyone there, you know, sure. like you, you walk away with a trophy, say, I just, I beat everyone that was here this week. And then the other thing is that, yeah, the, the exemptions, all that, like I, I'm fortunate enough to have those already, but the two year exemption and the security, that's really what a win means for me right now is just like, yeah, I'm top 50 in the world and I've been, I've been playing nicely, but you know, I'm not guaranteed anything as far as like, as far as Hudson is down the road, you know, in terms of my, my job, you know, and Hudson's coming off an injury and I was super happy for him and his family. Um, but the exemption is big to anybody, anyone that doesn't have that security, that, that exemption is huge. And I think that's probably the biggest carrot that dangles anyways, for me, as far as a win goes, is like, wow, you're exempt for essentially a three-year exemption with you when you win early in a season. So, um, but yeah, happy for him. And, um, I know that was, uh, was a big one for him. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to downplay the fact that you are in the top fifty in the world right now, because I mean, as of you know, as as we turned over into twenty twenty, you were hovering just under the three hundred ranked uh, in the world. So you have had I, kind of a slipping under the radar. Of course, the sixty six sixty six at Honda made a big difference in that, but you've had uh, especially since uh, since COVID, you know, since golf has restarted, I guess T three at at the Travelers, you had a T six at Memorial, a T ten at BMW and then a, a gross T seven at the net club championship at the end of the year. And then to, to finish this off the, the, uh, the third place finish. So it's been, it's been a big 2020 for you. It has. Yeah. The, uh, the handicapped championship that, uh, we played in was, was tough. Now, granted, I was super excited to be there, but you know, on your, your spot in Dustin 10, that's a tough deficit to make up. Now, I don't know what the perfect format is, because I know the the previous format was not perfect, too confusing for viewers, you know, to have like the scenario where Tiger won, but Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup. I don't I don't like that. Um, but at the same time, I shouldn't be level with Dustin Johnson either. Like I shouldn't um, start where he did because he had an incredible year. I had a good year for sure, but um, he had an incredible year. So I don't think we should start at scratch. But yeah, I don't know what that perfect format is, but. Um, Anyways, yeah, it was a, a great summer and, um, you know, it set me up for a nice year next year with all the majors and uh, hopefully, you know, the, the way that I can really finish it off is to finish the year, uh, you know, top 50 and then uh, that gets me into a couple more WGCs next year and yeah, really sets me up nice. Well, I was thinking about this actually, and that you know it is hard. I'm sure like a actual mental hurdle for players to to clear when you come into a tournament ten shots back. But at the same time, I think for the people that are near the bottom, I think the new format actually works out a lot better for you. In that it used to be that you know the guys at the top, even if if let's say you know if you're in first place and you finish thirtieth in the tour championship, you don't fall that far. And now, if you come in and you play poorly in the Tour Championship and you're near the top and you fall into 25th place, you get 25th place money overall. Whereas you used to get, you used to drop down to like fifth or something like not even that far. So I agreed, agreed. So, the um, now the only thing with the old format is like, you know, say you were 30th and you had a really a great week and you say won the tournament. Like you were going to be like third in the when Xander won the Tour Championship, he went from like twenty eighth to like third in the FedEx Cup. That's hard to be the twenty eighth guy, you know, starting even par and to finish third. 
Um, I think I would have needed to. Sh- I would have needed to shoot like minus eighteen. I think that was second or minus seventeen for the weeks to, to finish third. So it would it would have been tough. But yeah, like there's just not a a perfect way to do it. Um, I think the match play idea intrigues me, but they don't want to lose lose their top guys. You know, in the first couple rounds, and then have you know. I'm going to make fun of myself, but they didn't want me versus, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, something JM or any, any, any of the non marquee guys that they don't know much about. I mean, that's no knock on Sung Jay's an incredible player, but they just don't want that to be their final. Um, even though match play would be amazing, like to have Dustin Johnson on the ropes in the first round, you know, would be cool, but it, I don't know. I, yeah, you you. I, I want to kind of ask that. I guess going in, coming down the stretch at BMW. First of all, going into the week, do you know exactly what you need to do to qualify for the Tour Championship? And what is within that? What is the thing that is that is dangling there that you are most excited about? Like, what is the thing that of all the benefits that come from making the Tour Championship? If you could pick one, if you could only have one of those things, what is it? So I would say, def- I would say the Masters for sure. But I found out just before the week started at BMW that you also got into Maui, which was like an unbelievable carrot that just got dropped in your lap. And you're like, man, that they, like behind Augusta and, you know, I hadn't been to East Lake at that point. But I mean, Maui was just sitting there staring me at the face, staring me in the face. And I was like, it's just one of my I've been there once and it was just a dream week, 30 some odd guys and you know, a full point, full purse event. I mean, it's just, it's too, it's almost too good to be true, too gravy. And so you're like, well, I get that as well as the majors and a WGC. Well, Maui for both the golf and the family, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Family, family trip. It's uh, nice to bring the family down there to start the year. But I, I knew going into BMW, they projected that I would need a top 15. In my head, I was like, I think I need to be at least top 10 and I was really just trying to win the tournament. I felt like I was playing well enough to, to go and have a great week. And just, I thought, well, if I try to win and then, you know, if I don't win, hopefully I'm somewhere in that top 10. And I really had a great chance going into Sunday and, you know, this is not an excuse at all. It's just what happened. But I, I woke up Sunday with a pretty bad neck. Uh, I slept on it funny and, was getting worked on all morning and trying to get it to a point where it felt decent, but it was just not good out of the gate. I was hitting everything right and was just trying to put put it together. I was just scrapping my way around and kind of got a little better as the back nine got got on. I was I was swinging and the neck started to feel a bit better, but by that point I was I was kind of out of it. And my main concern was to uh, kind of hold my position and, and try and make East Lake, but. Well, is that an easy thing to track while you're playing? I, I imagine it is, you know, with leaderboards where you stand in a tournament. But like, as far as the projected FedEx Cup and all that stuff, did you know exactly what number you needed to get in at? I didn't know exactly because so it would tell you what your projected was, but it didn't tell you like, okay, with a birdie you're this, and with a bogey you're that. So like, on 17, you know, I'm putting out for bogey. I have a four footer for bogey. I tap in and. You know, before I made bogey, I was 28th, but my bogey didn't change my projection. So I was like, okay, I'm still 28th. 
but like, do like if I make another bogey, am I am I going to go to thirty? Am I going to go to thirty one? And so I'm talking to my caddy on the 18th tee, and I said, "Do we need a par?" He goes, "Yes." And I said, "Do I have any wiggle room?" He says, "No." And I'm like, "Okay, all right." That I mean, I want to know. I want. I mean, I don't want to think I can make bogey and then you know find out I couldn't. So, um, you know, I would say probably one of the top two or three hard, hard holes in the golf course. Uh, the 18th tee shot was kind of awkward. Um, yeah. Take it over the corner a little bit and, you know, you miss that fairway. It becomes a really difficult uh, four. And so I did, did the hard part, hit a great drive, probably the best drive of the day. And, you know, I don't know if I just kind of eased off a little bit or just felt like I was, you know, kind of home free, but you know, you dump it in a bunker and you're like, what are you, doing like i was like i mean what an idiot like i'm just thinking to myself you just put it in the perfect spot and now you're going to be just grinding for a four like making this so hard and i'm walking up there thinking just please don't plug i mean i just fanned a wedge right in the bunker i'm like there's a pretty good chance that it buried and i get up there and it's not plugged and i'm like all right okay got a chance and then I'm just trying to, you know, kind of refocus myself and, and get back in the game. And, you know, there was a couple with, a couple of good ways to get that ball close. If I'd hit it like 15 feet past the hole, it would have come back. And I knew really the worst, worst shot I could probably hit was like six, seven feet if I hit it past the hole and kind of got caught in the middle. Hit a pretty good shot, five and a half feet past the hole and, I mean, I'm just like, I hit it pack, past the hole. I'm just like, oh, I know how fast that putt is. And I'm like, this is so greasy and I have to make this putt. I have no other option. Is this comparable to like, it's your own personal internal tournament you're having right now. Is it comparable to competing for a, t- a title? A hundred percent it is. But I almost felt like this was more gut-wrenching because, you know, like say you had a putt, a putt to win. That just is a bit more exciting than like, the finality of East Lake or not in your season being over and not getting all those perks. Like, you know, the 31st guy doesn't really now when I say doesn't get anything, he just doesn't get those, those bonuses, those, those perks and, you know, the financial, you know, implications of making the top 30 from your sponsors. Um, there's so many things that, you know, come into play with top 30. And so it was like, it was that putt for all of it or you missed it and nothing. And not to mention like from my personal psyche, like if I had gone bogey bogey to miss two championships by one shot, I mean, it would have been a really long gross time to think about that. Like I just would have sat home watching East leg and been like, Oh my God. Like I just, I just coughed it up, had it right there and blew it. But you know, to kind of gather myself and hit a great putt and see it go in was, yeah, it was like winning a tournament. I didn't really, you know, it's funny. You guys had Joel on uh, not long ago, and he talked about how, you know, it's a big deal when you make a, a, a big chunk of money and you look at your, you know, your text from a tour and it says, oh, you made this. But that was one of the only weeks where I I went a few days without even really knowing what I made and didn't care because it was just like, I'm going to I'm going to East Lake. I, I was like I, I don't even like whether it was a 150 or 400 whatever it was. I didn't it didn't matter to me because I had made East Lake and um, so it was a really big deal for me and and obviously you know 
it goes without saying that it, it sets me up nicely for uh, for this season. God, that's awesome. That, that that was uh, I felt like I was going through that journey all over again. It was they did a great job. They picked you up right at the right moment and kind of highlighted everything new. So we as viewers knew exactly what the putt was for. And by base and I, internally, I'm kind of like I wonder if he knows. I'm sure he does, but I just wonder if he does. And then as soon as you fist pumped that reaction and how hard you're grinding on that putt, I was like, yep, he knew what that putt was for. Yeah, yeah. And it was. Uh, I mean, if they had shown showed 17, it would have been probably pretty good theater as well because i was really hacking my way up the left side of that hole i was in the trees and at a certain point it was just like damage control trying to make a five and then all my wiggle room was gone you know i made that bogey on 17 and you know now it's like okay well par par go home so yeah pretty pretty uh nerve-wracking stuff for me as well and uh thankful to have uh yeah got through it yeah, no, it, I think it's, you know, part of you get you can get caught up during the FedEx Cup playoffs of just like, oh, my God, this is about the money, the money, the money, the money, the money. And it is it, little intricacies like that can get lost a little bit. And I'm, I'm blaming myself for that as much as uh, much as anyone else. But like that, all that riding on it was uh, was fun to find. And then it's like, well, Adam Long ended up being the 31st guy and, you know, a guy that I'm not rooting against in any way, but I was. I, I I just was. It would have been to your exact point. It would have been agonizing to see you bogey the last two to 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 miss that out. But like that's what you know made it interesting. Is like that pressure is what had what had to have caused that. I know that was extremely difficult that week, but you had to be playing a little bit differently those last couple of holes because of you knew. Oh, those for sure. Holes. Yeah, for sure. I knew I knew exactly what like I needed to do coming down the stretch, and like I made an unreal up and down sixteen. Um. 17 there was like a little creek down the right there and you know i obviously wasn't going right so again i hit it left and yeah just i was just fighting so hard and battling and i just knew i just need to get this get this in the house a couple more pars and you know you're just trying to run the holes out and you know once i actually had a decent chance i thought to win like even with seven eight holes to go i got back to even par and lee was minus three and so I kind of tried to keep my eyes there for a little bit, bogeyed 14 and parred 15. So then, I, you know, my focus kind of shifted towards the end where I was like, okay, like just, let's just get this thing in the house and just, just got it in time. Well, let's go, let's go to Wingfoot then. Um, you know, you and I were chatting about doing this podcast before Wingfoot and I said, you know what, let's, let's wait till after. Cause I have a feeling there's going to be some reaction to this golf course after it's all over. So, you know, you said earlier that Wingfoot kind of chewed you up and spit you out, but I was, I was listening to the no laying up podcast and, uh, the Tron and big Randy were telling me that Wingfoot was way too easy. So uh, I'm kind of confused as to how it chewed you up and spit you out. <laughs> well, so the only time in the first, uh, well, so I only play the, the Thursday, Friday rounds, but the only time that I witnessed it really playing really difficult was Friday afternoon. I don't know if you watched much of the broadcast Friday, but like Friday afternoon, the golf course changed significantly. It was really windy and the course started to kind of get baked out. The greens were getting a little bit, uh, a little brown, a little purpley. You know, the golf course was not lost, but it was getting, it was getting tricky, uh, very tricky. And then... Like I started out my day on one, uh, shot two over the first day, which felt okay. But you know, seeing the scores, I was I was honestly disappointed myself. Seeing that there was sixty fives and and sixty sixes, uh, I just kind of was bracing for like total carnage. And then like the first day, they kind of had it set up a little bit softer. And you know, I didn't even play that 
great, but managed to shoot a couple over. So you're right. It was, it was a bit soft for Wingfoot and they had overdone it, um, uh, for sure being a bit extra cautious. And then Friday, the water was turned off. The wind picked up. It was cool. And I mean, I just got smacked in the face right out of the gate. I was six over through six and, but it was just like, it was kind of harmless. Like the way I was making bogeys and a double here and there, it was like, wow, I didn't even feel like I did anything that bad. And then it was like double. And like on number one, the second day, the pin was in that middle left bowl. And you saw guys that were like short of the green or whatever, like chip past the hole and it would run back. Well, I kind of chased one from the right rough just through the back right portion of the green. And it was a total no-no. I mean, you just couldn't be long. Anything past pin high there was really tough. And I was just trying to like keep it somewhere within like 15 feet in that little like left section of the green. And like down the middle, there's like a kind of a trough that runs everything down to the front. And I was just trying to get it over that. And it would probably stay somewhat, somewhat near the hole. It would actually would have been better for me to chip it through the green and have a shot from just kind of pin high left, but it kind of came out fluffy and it starts kind of breaking too soon and it's going down the middle of the green. And as soon as I see it breaking, I'm like, that's off the green. Mm. And I had a 70 footer from the front of the green now. And so like, you know, you start your day like that where now you're like, I've got this really tough two putt. If I leave it six feet short, it's back on my feet, you know, and you just, that's what came at you all day. And yeah, for, I mean, I think Friday for sure was if, if we had played those conditions for four days, I think that eight over would have won. Um, like I'm not, I'm like not trying to exaggerate. Like the, it was, it was really difficult. Like to shoot like two or three over that day was a great round in in the afternoon. I mean, I've never seen green complexes like that before. Uh, so unique. Every hole, um, there wasn't like two holes that really looked alike in any way just a really neat sign. I, I, I loved it as much as it, you know, kicked my teeth in on Friday. I thought it was great. Just, a a little bit disappointed in the way that it, it, it was set up, you know, too inconsistent, like, you know, Thursday kind of a bit of a birdie fest. And then Friday was really hard. And then I think Saturday, Saturday, there were some good scores, I think. And then Sunday got kind of got hard again, but it just didn't quite have the flow. Um, and I think now obviously Bryson, destroyed it and shot six under but um i was hoping for like a five six seven or bar winner uh would have been pretty cool but and i'm sure most of the viewers were too so well uh, help me with this though like my my i agree and and you know tron and randy have maybe conflated my my point a bit on the on thursday like it was obviously very soft thursday but my point was just like if if you don't get wind and there was almost no wind Thursday, that's one less that's a, a huge factor in greens drying out. One and two, there's not like a what what is I guess it's a better question. What is like the hardest golf you've ever played when the wind isn't blowing? Because of how good all of you guys are, wind is like the the variable that actually is what affects scores the most. You can set a course up for sure. so freaking hard. And if there's no wind, it's just not hard for you guys. So I, I just don't know what to compare it to. It's like, hey, this this golf course on this day when there was no wind was so difficult, and that's what Wingfoot should have been, is the bridge that I can't cover. Yeah, it, uh, it's the firmness. So on Thursday, there was no wind, but the firmness wasn't there. I mean, you could... But that, like those two work together, though, right? I mean, the wind is going to help dry it out. 
Yeah, they do though. But you can have firm conditions without a day of like you know they, they could be firm prior to getting wind on Thursday. So if you if you're playing Wednesday and the course is starting to get firm, and you're prepping it for for Thursday, and you know the wind's going to be light, you don't need to water as much come Wednesday evening because you know it's going to be a little bit of a calmer day. That moisture's going to hang, hang in the greens a little bit better. So like you don't you prepare for that and say, okay, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to dump water on this place because it's not going to blow tomorrow. Now, if you mess that formula up, you can have carnage. But uh, to me, firmness is the, is like the the holy grail of making a golf course hard. Like right. firmness with like runoffs and tough greens to hit. Like again, like you let Bryson hit these greens with wedges from the rough. It 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 almost shouldn't be possible to hit the green now. I, I get it with a great shot. Maybe, you know, you get it on the green, but like he was doing it pretty consistently where he could get it on the green, um, get the ball to stop. Uh, I don't think in a proper setup that should happen. Um, I think it should be repelling balls off the green unless you're in the fairway. If you're in the fairway, then, you know, you, you can get a ball, the, a, a great golf shot is going to stop on the green and, and you know, you're going to have a look. But yeah, to me, it was, it was a bit too soft. And Olympia Fields, like, if they had not done anything, Olympia Fields, they watered, I think, a fair bit on the weekend. I don't know if they liked the scores the first couple of days. I loved it. thought it was amazing. Uh, I was one over through two rounds, and I think I was like sixth or maybe even better. Like, I mean, I think two under was leading or something like that, or one under. I mean, it was amazing. Um, is that more fun they, than birdies? Like, uh, uh, to, to, me, to me, it is. Yeah. I think, like... I almost feel like you don't have to be as good, but you you have to manage your game and think really well when those conditions arise. Like it becomes more of like a strategy game management scenario where like, say you go to Aaron Hills and Brooks Capital wins the U S open at, you know, minus 16 or minus 17. Like that requires like a lot of really precise ball bashing, hitting it far, hitting your long irons really well, putting great. Now, but that course was long, but it was, it was kind of soft and just a big, kind of a big ballpark. So like for me, that would have been, it would have been hard for me to shoot minus 16 that week at, at Aaron Hills, unless I had a career week, but at Olympia fields, it kind of brings guys together. Um, it puts more of a premium on the way you think your way around the golf course, short game, chipping and putting. Um, so to me, that's more fun. I, I like that better. It makes like, – I like to be able to say, okay, Mackenzie, like this ball is going to land here, but what's it going to do when it lands? And what's it going to – how's it going to react? What, but when you play, say, Aaron Hills and it's soft, it's just like, okay, hit a six iron and try and fly at 195. Boom, yeah. stick, done. Like if you give us conditions like that, like guys are going to gonna tear it up. But as soon as you introduce like – you know, weird bounces and, and just really crusty greens, firmness, then, you know, all hell can break loose, which I kind of like. I was going to say, weirdly, when it's firm, I swing so much better because I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I'm more creative and I'm just thinking more about the golf shot than I am the swing. And that is, that's why I asked if that was more fun at, at your level, because I, I, we say it all the time that golf is more fun when it's firm, but I, I think it just frees you up to just play so much more creatively and, 
it almost I think they're, yeah. they're just there's there's more there's more shots available shots around the green become more difficult to like the being short-sighted that has a penalty you know where you're going to miss the ball you start thinking about those things so yeah I'm, I'm with you where i like to have the options and you know the ball can be on the ground you, you know you could be 195 yards and you have a back pin but you're trying to land it 30 yards short of the front edge of the green because you know it's going to balance and chase, chase up there kind of tumble out of the rough and you got to guess and judge all that stuff and take into into consideration so um yeah to me that that's uh the ultimate style of golf what uh so you played in the masters once in 2017 what's what's the i guess what are you looking forward to the most might be kind of a a lame question to ask but you know what what stuck with you the most what did you remember the most about that week that you're like i can't wait to go do this again so i have i have a pretty interesting masters experience because you know, to run through it quickly, Monday afternoon, playing the back nine, get rained out, call off the course, Monday's done. Tuesday, glorious day, 85, sunny. Like, wow, this course is, is kind of manageable. Like, I mean, it's hard, but I can, I can, I think I can get my way around here. Wednesday, there's like a tornado warning in Augusta. So the par three contest is one of the, probably one of the highlights of the week that I'm looking forward to, canceled. Thursday, we see a cold front coming in. It's going to be a high of 55, and it's going to be blowing 30 miles an hour. I'm like, this is not a golf course I prepared for it to be 55 <laughs> and blowing 30. And I get on the first tee. I'm bundled up, Under Armour, like can't have enough warm clothes. And the first hole is a driver and a foreign. I'm not even over the, the hill. Like, I'm... I'm down in the ceremonial tee shot area. It just like, you're like, wow, this is, this is Augusta right here. I'm hitting a four into like the hardest green on the course to start out my day. And like, anyways, I, I didn't play great. The conditions were tough and I missed the cut by a lot. So I was most looking forward to just getting back there and having redemption at the golf course and, and kind of playing it. I just picture Augusta national, like 75, 80 degrees and blowing five miles an hour like not that you, know, you can't have tough conditions there but that's just the way i i picture augusta and, and playing it just you know using the slopes and having some kind of idea where the ball's going um you know i remember that day the ball was awesome on the greens and you just it was so hard to make putts because you're playing wind and the greens are incredibly fast and there's so much slope and but yeah i'll I think the thing I was most looking forward to with Augusta would have been the part getting back on a par three and hopefully having that, you know, run this year. I mean, I don't, there's so much uncertainty now with how things are going to look even next year in the spring. Um, I'm hopeful to have fans there at Augusta. I mean, but that's up in the air as well. So yeah. It sounds like you just felt like you didn't get the, I didn't ex- get the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I did like, you know, I was hardly on the courses all Monday. Uh, Wednesday, I practiced for like an hour, and then I was going to do the par three contest. It was totally rained out, like totally off the golf course. So, like, I basically got like a day and a bit the first three days. I, I played Tuesday, but then the first couple of days were, you know, Monday and Wednesday were crap. And then and then I played uh, shitty Thursday, Friday, and I was out. So it was – I just felt like, wow, it went really quickly, and I hardly got to be on the property, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So – um, I'm looking forward to being back there in the spring and, and hopefully, 
you know, we've got some some fans in the in the par three contest. It'll be uh, be a lot of fun. It's got to be weird to sit out a Masters knowing you're exempt for the next one. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And and people have asked me like, oh, you know, with your good run of play, does that get you into the to the fall Masters? And I'm like, well, no. I mean, it's been frozen since April, but. There's nothing you, know, you can do to get it's, into it. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like there's a you know there's going to be four Canadians there. I'll be the top ranked Canadian, but I won't be in the field. You know, just just the way it worked. You know, I mean, I've had a good summer, so I. Um, but I knew that all along, and I I totally get the system. I mean, they they had a field in place, and you know they have a limit on their size, and that that's it. So yep. Daniel Berger's not in the Masters, and he's I think tenth in the world or twelfth in the world. So there's uh there's definitely a few guys that you know, could be worthy of a spot, but just the way it is. Yep. No, I think it, it may, it's crazy and it makes sense at the same time. Like it, this event is just, was supposed to happen in April and we're just moving it to November, keeping everything the same. So yeah, we just got this, uh, total, total mega season of tournaments, which seems, it seems crazy to think that we have 50 tournaments in a year. It's, it's wild. I, I was getting ready to say it's awesome, but I don't know if it's awesome, but it's, it's great for you guys. I mean, the playing opportunities are all there. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you where I, I, I question whether it's the, it's the best. I mean, to have the opportunities is, is amazing, but then you wonder with other sports, they get that off season. They get that, you get a chance to miss football. You get a chance to miss baseball. You get a chance to miss hockey, all those things like with golf that just, it, it keeps on going. Like there's never that, that downtime. I mean, you can call December a break, but I mean, it's, it's what, four weeks. Yeah. And this week it's going to, it's actually going to be like three weeks this year because Mayakoba is in the first week of December. So, you know, that calendar flips and it's like, boom, Maui, you know? And I, I'm very grateful for the fall portion of the schedule because I, I won the RSM. I mean, I, I might not be here right now without the RSM. So, it's just it is a lot a lot of tournaments and, and again I, I'm with you where I don't know if it's the best way to maybe go about it but the opportunities are amazing it, it's it's kind of weird like I don't know if you had say 35 tournaments in a two and a half month off season would that you know make people more eager to watch come January I, I don't know but it's hard to say like, Hey, this, these events shouldn't exist. You know, like it's hard to, yeah. even as a fan yeah. that like would like a break, it's, it's hard to say that. So it, like I said, it, I feel like it's kind of optional. It's kind of like the, um, but it, but it, but it's not, Oh, I'm it's saying for fans, because, for, for, for players, oh, it's for, not for at fans, all optional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for players now, it, you know, you look at some guys that were sitting out last fall now, obviously COVID messed things up, but like, you know, they probably wish they had played in the fall with what happened with COVID, right? I mean, you know, their opportunities were way down in the summer. And right. so if they had played more in the fall, they would have been in a better position. And that was just like a, a little micro, microcosm of what, you know, it might kind of look like sometimes when you, you play the fall or don't play the fall. I mean, if you go have a great fall and lock your card up in the fall, I mean, that's amazing. And it kind of sets you out to be free in the new year. Or you can go through the fall and not play much and be way behind starting in, you know, say, I don't know, Honolulu or Palm Springs. You're just like, you know, I'm just starting my season, but guys have already, you know, accumulated a thousand points or 800 points and you're just kind of starting your year. It's, it's tough to make that up. I've actually played the last three falls. I've played not good at all. Like I've, 
almost been better off not playing. I had 10 points this season through Pebble. So I had played 11 tournaments, made two cuts, and was, you know, just trying to kind of find something. And so, like, in my head, I'm like, well, shoot, I could have taken four months off and just come back at Honda. I mean, I've been basically in the same position. It's kind of it's kind of weird the way my falls have worked out recently. Um, trying to kind of buck that trend this year, but um, 190 yeah. points last week will do it. 190 man. points, that's a lot. yeah, that's gonna that's, that's gonna get me off to a good start. So, um, yeah, the fall. I think the fall is important, and it's hard. Yeah, like you said, to just say, hey, you know, to these tournaments, to, you know, take a hike. I mean, they're they're all important sponsors of the tour, and it's it's nice to have you know, those opportunities and that support from, uh, you know, from great sponsors. So yeah, it's just a lot of golf. And like you said, the fans had that choice though, to, to either tune in or, you know, maybe tune out for, uh, for a little bit. I was trying to get some attention going for Corrales, man. And it was just like crickets on Twitter, but it ended up being a really entertaining tournament. I, I will say so. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's up against football, things. man. It's just like you're not yeah, gonna win. Yeah. You shouldn't try to win. Yeah. So I, um, you can try, but yeah, it's it's tough, and we and we get it. And it's just a t- tough time of year to be, uh, I guess, fully engaged. And especially, I I don't know how how it is for the viewers and for for you to watch, but it does feel like the tournaments have even a little less buzz without the fans. Like, yeah, it's almost harder to like. It's better in ways to watch because you can hear a lot, but at the same time, you think, man, like how cool was some of these moments have been with, you know, the crowd, right. The crowd going crazy. Like you'd just be yeah, all over it. Sure. You know, like I remember, I don't know if it was, was it Kepka who made like a 50 footer on 17 at like Memphis. And then he like, I think he like tied the leader got one back of the lead. And it was like, you know, four people in their backyard were clapping. Yeah. <laughs> like the place would have gone nuts. It has an effect. And, and, yeah. It's yeah, it's just like that that would have added a charge to that moment and you would be like, Oh, this is like this is exciting. There's been but some like he makes it and you're like, Oh, that was huge and it's like, Oh, but yeah, no one's no one's sharing this. There's been yeah. some big ones. I mean, gosh, so the DJ and Ron Putts and J T and Morikawa oh, and Morikawa yeah, like PGA. Moments, yeah. Yeah. Those moments would have been un- unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's we can all agree it's better to have golf with no fans than no golf at all though. So it's for sure. It's, it's yeah. uh just comes it's to the territory. Ne- necessary evil right now, but um, yeah, we uh, definitely miss the fans. Sweet. All right, man. Well, thanks for jumping on. Uh, congrats on the success this fall and uh, and the season in general. Can't wait to see the see in the majors next year and and in Maui. That's gonna be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll hope to hope to do this again soon. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Thanks a lot, bud. You bet. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's. Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 